Good evening, brethren, and welcome to the Granite Cornerstone podcast, episode number nine. This is a very special episode. We have some great guests with us here tonight, so we are going to get right into the action. Joining me this evening are the men in purple, and we're going to start off with the Right Worshipful Junior Grand Deacon of the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire, Right Worshipful Brother Andy Bennett. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good evening. Also joining us this evening is the Right Worshipful De- Deputy Grand Master of the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire, Right Worshipful Brother Dan Hotchkiss. Right Worshipful, welcome. Thanks, Tim. Good evening, brother. And brethren, we are also joined by the Most Worshipful Grand Master of the Most Worshipful Grand Lodge of the Ancient and Honorable Fraternity of Free and Accepted Masons of the State of New Hampshire, Most Worshipful Brother David Collins. Most Worshipful, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Tim. Great to be with you, and great job on that introduction. I, I, I need to have some of my grand officers listen to you, so well done. I, I don't remember who it was, but somebody was drilling that into me last week, and I, I, I remembered it, and, and I, I'm glad I got it right. So welcome. It's glad, we're glad to have you. Great to be here. So brethren, um, this, is, this is a great opportunity to have these illustrious individuals joining us this evening because, as I'm sure many of you know, uh, most Worshipful Collins was just installed into the office of Grand Master last month. And that means that he has just started his term as Grand Master. He has appointed Right Worshipful Brother Bennett as the Junior Grand Deacon. So this is Andy's first time in the Grand Line. He's only been in that position for about two weeks now. And Right Worshipful Brother Hotchkiss is, has been elected as Deputy Grand Master and has about two years left in his his. Uh, apprenticeship before he heads to the Grand East. So we're here just to talk about your journeys uh, through Grand Lodge and, and to find out what it is that brought you to the positions you're in today and and for, for especially Andy and Dan to find out what it is you have in store over the course of the next four and 12 years. Yeah. That's, a, that's a long time when you, when you put it just like that, isn't it? Yep, sure is. So, Most Worshipful, let's start with you. I would like to hear your story a little bit about about your journey through the Grand Line and and what brought you to uh, pursuing the position of Grand Master. Well, thanks, Tim. Well, nothing really brought me to pursuing the position of Grand Master because it's one of those you just, you start doing things. Sorry, my power's flickering here, so you see the lights. It looks like I'm in a a haunted house here. Um, You just, really what it comes down to is, is, you know, I joined Freemasonry 25 years ago. I had some great mentors that really allowed me to kind of learn about the fraternity. And personally for me is I found a great interest in attending the Grand Lodge sessions. I became, I think, kind of the permanent rep of my lodge because my lodge is up in the northern part of the state, the northernmost lodge in Antwerp and Coburg, which is about three hours away from Manchester. And after a couple of years I joined, I moved to Southern New Hampshire, so I was always available. And I just found it very interesting. Um, but I was just one of those guys, you know, I worked my way up. I decided, uh, you know, I started in the line of my lodge. I, 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 I moved to Southern New Hampshire. I dropped out. I got back in the line. And really my thought was I was just going to go through to be master of my lodge. And that was it. But I had a lot of ideas about programming, about ways lodges should be run. And I kind of pushed that. And I think sometimes when you do it, you're just doing these things for the better of your lodge. And I guess people start paying attention to it. So I literally told my wife 19 years ago that um, I just wanted to go through to be master of my lodge, as many brethren do. And, and I enjoyed the heck out of it. And then when I was master of my lodge, I got a call from uh, Most Worship Brother Robert Hatfield, who said, um, I'd like you to be a district education officer. And I thought, well, the northern district, you know, that would be fine because, you know, I could probably I won't be going to Cobrook all the time. I'll be going to North Haverhill and Gorham and that will be better. Um, and then I got involved there and I started doing a lot of that. And, you know, one of these people, when I get involved in things, I put my I put both feet in. I dive in the water and I start figuring out how to tread water. Um, so I really uh, enjoyed that and um, was kind of going up through, figured I'd go through his DDGM and kind of that would be it. And my lights are going, sorry. Me, uh, and and um, once that happened, um, I had uh, most worship of the Paul Leary, who I traveled with a lot. And all of a sudden, one day, he decided to ask me, driving down the road, if I'd like to be the next junior grand deacon. And I kind of looked at him and said, you serious? He's like, oh, yeah. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, it kind of took me aback. 
Um, and I thought about it quite a bit and I know I'm younger. I mean, I was just about 40 years old. I was 39 years old. So I thought, you know what, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do that type of travel and that level of commitment. I'll do it while I'm young because I have a job where I travel a lot and I can do that. So, um, that's really kind of what got me here. And I'll tell you the thing I love about New Hampshire, it's been a great apprenticeship, you know, 10 years. I've been involved literally every committee of the Grand Lodge. Um, been involved in really hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of meetings and conversations and really got a good feel of kind of what I saw my mission was to continue and kind of take the great things brethren have done for me before and kind of move forward. So that's why I'm here today. So that's how I got here. Well, fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. So Dan, you've got just two years left in, in that journey before you're, you're in your final chair. Um, what is it that you're looking forward to over the course of the next two years? What sort of planning are you doing to, to put yourself into a good position to, to be grandmaster? Um, Tim, I, I think a lot of this, you know, the foundation for, for a lot of what we were doing now has been already laid. Uh, and for me, it's a matter of kind of continuing that wonderful foundation that those have set before me. Um, you know, I might have my own little twist and turn on it a little bit. Um, but for instance, you know, the ritualistic excellence that we're working on, the education programs that we're working on, all those are great programs. We're certainly going to try to continue those. Um, but as I said, I may, you know, have my own little turn in terms of how I want to approach it. Um, but the base foundation is still there. Um, and that's thanks to most first brother Collins, most first brother Clay and those who have gone before us. Um, but from a planning perspective, certainly, you know, you're, you're looking down that road. Um, and now certainly is the time where all of that planning is, is starting significantly. Um, cause that two years is going to go by very quickly. Um, I know most worshipful Collins can certainly attest to that, but I mean, even at this point, um, I was appointed back in 2013. So eight years ago, I, it's hard to believe that I'm already in the position of deputy grandmaster. It just, it just goes by that quickly. So we've referred to the process of going through the grand line as an apprenticeship. And what do you, what is the most valuable part of our grand line? We have two year terms. So it's 10 years before you sit as grand master. You know, brother Bennett has 10 years before he's sitting in, in the grand East. And what, what does the grand lodge do to mentor those upcoming line offers and make sure that they're ready to represent a, a, a full jurisdiction like the grand lodge, New Hampshire. David, do you want to touch that first? Uh, you know, I can tell you what it really came from, Tim, is this, you know, this is this progression of the grand officers has been this way for a very long time. It goes back literally back into the 1800s. But I really think what really was the turning point that I look from the modern standpoint uh, was most forceful brother Richard Shanda. When he became grandmaster, and that would have been back in like, I believe, 1999, um, or 1998, when he became grandmaster, he said, you know, he decided at that point the Grand Line was involved, but not as deeply involved as they were now. And he, he said, you know, if you're going to be Grand Master, I think it's important that you really start traveling with the Grand Master. You get involved in all these committees and really start putting a lot of time and effort in. So what he really did is he really stepped up the whole point of the internship. And what's really developed over those 20 years is it's really an expectation when you come in the Grand Line that all the major committees, education, ritual, you know, district deputy grandmasters, all the major meetings you have. We have monthly line meetings where the line is intimately involved in all the day-to-day -day discussions and decisions. Though the grandmaster ultimately makes the final decision, um, it's really, and for me for 10 years, I've been hearing about all the various discussions from the good, the bad, and the ugly of Grand Lodge, I call it that, because it's a management job. Um, and I would really say that that all of those you are intimately involved. So you're just at, initially for the first few years, you just kind of sit back and listen and kind of ask questions, pay attention to. And then once you kind of come to a point you're elected, you're, you start to be more of a voice in those decisions, maybe for or against or giving words of wisdom saying, you know, Grandmaster, if you're going to do this, I don't know if I would do that for this reason. So that's really what it does. It's, it's very much a building process, like you're in the junior management team as the deacons, and then you start becoming in middle management as the wardens. And by the time you get up to like Dan's position as deputy, I think you really have a very much the ear of the grandmaster uh, very closely, and he confides in you. Uh, really, as deputy, I think I'm, I myself, 
uh, most works with Brother Clay, I think, did to me. And I know I do to Dan as well. That's kind of your confidant on a lot of items to say, I'm going to do this. Is this going to cause you an issue down the road? Or do you, I really believe I think I'm right here. What are your thoughts? You know, so that's a lot of it. It's kind of like a management team working up through. That's why I like it in New Hampshire. I think it's great. I feel very, by the time I got here, I felt very, I feel very confident in what I need to do. I'm not saying I'm confident in every decision, but I feel that I, that I have the understanding to at least go in the right direction. Yeah, and David brings up an excellent point. I mean, it, it is a team effort, um, certainly led by the Grandmaster, um, but he hears our opinions. And, you know, we don't all have the same opinions and we don't all have the same experiences. So we bring different things to the table for those discussions. And he might say, oh, geez, I didn't really think of it that way. Or, oh, that's an excellent point. Let, let's talk about that a little bit further. And that's all part of the process and it's part of the learning process as well. You, As he said, you in those first four years or so, you're sitting back, you're listening to those discussions, you're kind of taking it all in, being a sponge, um, just like you are as you're going through your degrees. You're, you're being that sponge and learning. Uh, this is just a, at a slightly different level, that's all. So that brings us to uh, the, the sponge, as it were, <laughs> right, worshipful brother Benner. You've been in this position for for three weeks, um, and you've had obviously some some background since that. I'm sure since that phone call that the grandmaster made to you. What are you seeing as as your responsibilities over the course of the next? Let's call it four years as a deacon, as that junior manager, and then going through the the war, the elected positions. So, so the biggest thing really for me is to learn as much as I possibly can. Um, one of the things that I'm tasked with doing right now is taking the notes for pretty much every meeting. And, and what that's going to allow me to do is really, you know, pay very deep attention to everything that's going on. But, you know, really learn what's going on. Find out, you know, what are the little ins and outs of all these different things that I'm, you know, tasked with doing now. And, and I think for me really right now, my main objective is to learn more than anything else. Um, be there when I'm when I'm told told that I asked to be there, and other than that, learn. So, and, so and actually, quite frankly, it's kind of nice because as um, the I'll call it my young the youngest member here, um, I I really am learning from some individuals who have you know gone in the same path. It's not like this is anything. Um, that they haven't done themselves. So, and you know, what? I think that's one of the beautiful things about masonry. No matter what it is we do, the first thing we're told is everyone in this room has, has done what you're about to do. Everyone has done the same exact thing. And it's good to see that continuity is maintained at the Grand Lodge level. I think that it's interesting, you know, to see you in your position and realize what you have ahead of you. And I know when we were talking about preparing for this podcast, we sat down and most worshipfully, you shared some, some numbers about the number of meetings that you have to attend over the course of uh, 12 years yeah. uh, in the grand line. And I, I kind of wanted to hear a little bit about that. What, what are the commitments? You know, Andy said, be where you need to be when you need to be there. What does that mean? Well, that literally means so, so, you know, when you think about it, so we have line officer meetings and that's an expectation to attend. We have at least 10 to 11 of those every year. So that's a monthly meeting. That's three to four hour discussion. You know, we'll have dinner and we have a discussion. Then you've got uh, DDGL meetings, lecture meetings. Those are now six a year. So you got those meetings you got to attend. District deputy grand master meetings. Those are, we have those at least four a year. Then you also have education committee and that meets every other month. So you have those meetings. Then sometimes you have these other specific discussions um, that you have to attend. And beyond that, you've got all the things the grand master is going because there's an expectation if you're able to, that you attend. And you know, in any given year, we do at least 30 plus veterans programs, tons of anniversaries, consecrations, special awards. It, it literally becomes really part of your life for 12 years. It really does. You literally take your work schedule, your personal schedule and your Masonic schedule and you morph them together. And again, um, certainly we're all working guys right now on the line. And that's been that way for a, lot, for a few years now. There are none of us that are even close to retirement age. Um, 
Dan is our senior member, I think, and he's not, he's only senior because he's been a Mason a long time, but he's, we're all a working year. So we're balancing this by balancing a job. So we're out night after night and with virtual, COVID is nice with virtual, but I'm here to tell you, it means literally I'm on virtual meetings just about every night of the week. The line several times a week, depending if I have to pull them in. And then the other thing we talk about kind of jokingly is we talk about lodges of instruction. So there are eight districts in New Hampshire and there's 12 years. That means you have 96 lodges of instruction you need to attend. And there's an expectation. So here I am, I'm down to my final 16. Um, so I've essentially, I've missed two over the course of my career because um, I, was, I was very sick, ill on two occasions. Because um, those are very important meetings to attend. Two meetings of Grand Lodge. So start adding that up over the course of a year. And you can see in a given month, um, there are light months, but in a given, in a busier times of year, you're out three to four nights a week at least. And that's including weekends where you're traveling places. So um, yeah, the travel expectation, without a doubt, it's a lot, Tim. It becomes part of your life that you literally, it's that extra schedule you balance. So it's a challenge, especially if you have young families and like, you know, Andy has some young children. We've had other brethren in the line. They either have children or grandchildren that are attending events. And what happens is we'll say, you know what? Um, hey, Dan, you know, I know your daughter's got to attend the event. I won't be there very master. Or, you know, hey, I have a family event. I don't have children. But, you know, I'm close with my family. And I have a family event like this week. I, I went to the deputy grandmaster and I said, hey, can you attend this event? I want to be there. But it's a family wedding that I want to be there with my wife. And, you know, it's a, it's a life's balance. You know, it's a life's balance. But I also want to be there for the fraternity. And so do all these other brothers in the Grand Line. Um, it's an important part of it. Because we get seen and we get to know people and get to know the brethren around the state and really understand what's going on. So, yeah, and, and David brings up an excellent point. I think as Grandmaster, Deputy Grandmaster, we want to be out there and, and attending these events to meet the brethren. And I think in New Hampshire, we have a rather unique situation in that regard. The brethren of New Hampshire get to meet their Grandmaster on a regular basis, um, whether it be for a veterans program or even either just stated communication. Um, and, you know, as working members, not only within the craft, but still within our professions, you know, I think we do a pretty good job of trying to balance um, those commitments and those requirements. And, and as David noted, if, if he can't attend something, he'll say, well, look, you know, I have a conflict. I, I have either a family event or I have another Masonic event. And we'll split them up as best that we possibly can so that we can make sure that the brethren of New Hampshire get to see their leaders. Um, so it's important for us. You know, and that's, that's a very good point. We've talked about, we've talked to grandmasters from other jurisdictions. You look at Massachusetts, for example, and there's no way that an average member of the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts is ever going to sit and lodge with the grandmaster on, on even a, a semi-regular basis. And I've had the opportunity to sit and lodge with, with David and, and Ken before, and, and that's a that is a, a great level of accessibility to have as a, a member of a, the fraternity. And you know, I think when you look at those numbers, when you look at that travel, it's very interesting to see. I, I've been a Mason for twelve years now, and when I twelve years, so I've been a Mason since uh, Ken Clay was junior grand deacon. Um, and the shift in the grand line has been significant, you know, seeing much younger members coming into the grand line, people who are not retired, people who are trying to balance all of this, that makes for a very interesting relationship between your grand line and, and their personal lives. So again, turning to the youngest member of the grand line, the one who's got the, the longest haul left, uh, Andy, what, what is it that came into your head when, when you got that call from the Grand Master asking you to serve as his junior Grand Deacon and eventually become Grand Master of this jurisdiction? Well, to be fair, I didn't get a call that asked that question. I got a text message that says, I want you to be on a committee. And look where we are. Um, so... <laughs> Hey, it's a committee. It's just a very long-term <laughs> commitment. <That's> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know... A lot went through my head, to be honest with you. But as far as, you know, thinking about juggling life, that, that was really a, a, big, a big question. I've got two young boys. I've got uh, a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old now. Um, when, they, 
when my youngest graduates college, I will be sitting, if everything works out, in the Grand East. So it, it, it's kind of um, it's kind of an interesting journey. Am I going to miss some of the things that they're going to be involved in? I'm sure I am. Um, but as a dad, I'm going to be there for all the things that I need to be there for. And that, to me, is the most important. Um, I have an incredibly supportive wife, and she knows that this is um, something that's near and dear to my heart. So that, honestly, was number one. If, if she said no, then the answer would have been no. Because I, I need to ensure that my family is on board with this. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. So... So what, what was the reason you said yes? A, a couple things. Um, masonry is something that runs in my family, so to speak. And it was a part of it was making my family and lineage proud. And that's honestly, that's a small part of it. What the bigger part is, is that this is a way that I can make a difference. Um, in masonry in New Hampshire, uh, I hope for the best. You know, it's it's something that has stirred my heart so much. And I, it's funny because when I when I joined masonry, I, I never thought that was going to be the case. You know, I thought this is going to be something I'm going to you know enjoy, have some fun with some guys. You know, we'll we'll have some you know lodge meetings or whatever. Oh, sure, it'll be a good time. I never thought I would enjoy it near as much as I do. You know, it's just, it's something that I've become incredibly passionate about. So. So, uh, most worshipful, I, you've just been installed. Obviously, you had some pretty big decisions to make in November when you were elected to the office that yeah. hopefully Dan will be making in, in November of 2022. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. So, what was the most important? What were the, the biggest decisions you had to make going into that position? Obviously, you've been planning for the last 10 years, yeah. and there are some things that you really can't plan ahead that far. So what were those game time decisions that you had to make when you were elected that, that you realized this was this was it? I, I think part of it is, you know, you're planning events and such that you'll probably do. But I really think for me it was actually the officers, you know. So I had certainly confirmed Andy. I mean, that that had to happen. That was important that I knew that one. But really, though I was looking at district officers, I'll be honest with you, I, I've never taken any election for granted. Um, and, and really, my feeling was I really didn't start to, I had a whole list of individuals looking at, I was I was watching individuals thinking, okay, you know, they'd make a good Grand Lodge officer. And really, not until I was elected there, really feel like I could start hitting the ground running. And, you know, the other thing which is really hard is, and this is something that will probably be easy for Dan, I didn't expect COVID to come along at all, nor did Ken Clay expect COVID to come along. And this is what happens when you're working your way up. And this is where Dan is, his deputy grandmaster. He's, what you do is you formulate these ideas and you head of different officers, different plans, but this is what you do. You go out and travel to lodges and you talk to brethren and you just formulate ideas in your head of what you wanna do, of officers you wanna do and things you wanna do. Well, guess what? In March of 2020, COVID shut us down. So I wasn't able to attend, really, I was able to attend a bunch of virtual meetings, but not really see, see things on the ground like I wanted to. And what it's really done is it's kind of changed up a little bit. It, it even made me look at from officers, some of my planning, what I was going to do, because even things I wanted to do right now, I'm not able to do because we're just coming out of COVID. So, you know, a lot of what I think was the committees and the officers that I think in a normal year, I would have had well confirmed more months in advance. I had a very good idea of everything, but I really didn't hit the ground running until after I got elected. Because again, that that's, you know, I, I, like any worshipful master, I mean, there's always something that could change or whatever the case may be. But I would definitely say the officers and the committees, because what you realize is, I mean, I have 55 Grand Lodge officers I got to appoint. I have another probably 40 committee members 
And I'm trying to pick brethren that'll add things to the committee, right? And like you, Tim, so you, I pulled you on one of the communications committee. You've been doing a great job, you know? Um, we're trying to watch the brethren, but in with COVID, it was just virtual meetings. So it became very difficult. There were brethren you saw you like, are they still out there doing things? I've got to try to, oh, I've only got nine virtual meetings tonight. Which one am I going to go? Oh, I better, that's what I want to look at. I better go to that virtual meeting. And that's what I found myself doing. And it was, it was a very uncomfortable situation because ultimately you're trying to make the best decisions possible for all, all involved. And, you know, I was pleased with what I did, but that was very, very challenging. I'll tell you that I don't think that I don't really see Dan having, you know, assuming we don't go into COVID again, having right. the same issues, they'll have a lot more time to do that. Um, so that, that definitely, that was a huge, I, I personally found that as a huge challenge because again, there's a lot of things you watch to decide if people are prepared for the position because, you know, I've got a whole bunch of new Grand Lodge officers and I've taken them on faith that I, I think they will be good Grand Lodge officers and I have a lot of faith they will. So, and I'll certainly work to give them guidance on that. So. So, Dan, does that mean that that's what you're looking at over the course of the next two years is scouting for the major leagues, as it were? Yeah, very, very much so. And, and you know, David didn't necessarily touch on this, but you, know, you, you may be looking at a certain individual for a certain position, say a district deputy grandmaster, and you approach them and, and have a discussion and they say, mm, no, I'm not really interested. So you got to have at least a backup or two in mind because um, that's going to happen. And, and I know it, it, it happens quite frequently. Uh, you know, guys have other commitments and that's certainly fine. Um, you know, obviously we're looking to them because we see something in them and we think they'd be a good Grand Lodge officer, but it may not be the right fit for them at that particular time. Um, so you've really got to always have to have a kind of a plan B. So it's not, well, it's 55 Grand Lodge officers. Your list is going to be significantly longer than that. Yeah. It's like about 150 is what it really is. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. You're right, Dan. And, and, and David's right, too. I mean, the, those committees are just as important. Uh, and, and finding the right brethren for those committees um, to be able to serve and, and lead those committees um, is also vitally important. Because they perform an important function for, for us and for our Grand Lodge. So, Dan, one of them, or to both Dan and the Grand Master, you are both charged with continuity of some of the, the ongoing planning that has, has come from grandmasters that preceded you. Obviously, most worshipful brother Clay had a, had a lot of initiatives that we've seen from you most worshipful. You're continuing. How is that continuity maintained? Because obviously we've got initiatives coming from past grandmasters. We have initiatives coming from our present grandmaster and future grandmaster. And then 10 years from now, we hope those initiatives are still alive and well when, when Andy is going to be planning, what does the Grand Line do to maintain continuity and, and find a plan that works, maybe not for everybody, but it works for the best of the Grand Lodge with, with minor tweaks here and there as, as time goes on and situations change? I, I think that being on that group for 10 years and being very cohesive, and I will tell you that many of the initiatives, and I was pretty much say all the major initiatives are all fleshed out really in the line and there's buy-in from all the line officers is really what there is it's not something that in the past that's what happened is grandmaster would bring up a great idea he'd do it for two years the next guy said well i'm not as enamored by that and it would kind of get shelved so the one thing that's really happened i've seen it i saw it especially early on when i was in the line grandmaster saying okay we're gonna this is what we want to do going forward does anybody have heartburn over this and if you do let us know why because we're going to tweak it right now because, we, you know, there were grandmasters saying, when I get six, eight years down the road and I'm out of office, I want to make sure that these things are still moving forward. So that definitely is a lot of that line and that cohesiveness with the line. We're really six different individuals, but as conceptually wise, I think we're very much in general on the same page. There's going to be, like Dan said, these little kind of tweaks we do, but we become a very cohesive unit. We Again, right now, it's six kind of Andy's new to the line. It's six new individuals that will work together. But Andy will find, you know, within the next six months to a year, we become very cohesive and the ideas moving forward. We also try to do this. If something one brings along like a grandmaster or somebody in the line and really nobody else has support in it with the line, we kind of shelve it or, or look to rework it. Because what's the point of bringing something up that's always on one person's idea, not somebody else's? So I really think we 
we talk through that all the time. Um, that's where those line meetings, it's very open forum. It's very much, everybody has a voice at the table in those meetings. It's very much a, what I would call a policy decision-making group. Um, ultimately the grandmaster has the final say, but really it's, it's the line working together to come up with this. Then maybe going, if it's from an education, maybe going to EdCom saying, okay, how do we implement this? Now you get another group of 10 guys that come in and say, okay, be more ideas to the table. Maybe on the lectures, the same thing. Um, very much that's what we try to do. Right. Yeah, and, and, and with that, you know, the underlying document that helps guide us through that is our strategic plan. Uh, that's something we put in place a number of years ago. And we review it on, a, on an annual basis just to kind of make sure we're still on track with where we think we need to be. And I mean, it's a, it's a very broad document and it's designed to be that way, but it's designed to provide that basic level of, of foundation for us to at least work from. Just want to make sure we got Andy back. I see his face in the sidebar, but I don't see him on camera. I see him on camera. Him yep. oh. All right. Well, it must, might just be me then. Oh, I can't hear him, though. Uh-oh. We can hear him. I can oh. hear him. Lovely. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Hold on just one second, folks. Something has gone horribly wrong in my interface, and I apologize for that because I can't see or hear Andy, but I can see a tiny little picture on the sidebar. So, can everyone else hear me? Oh, now he's now, now he's the only one. Andy's the star of the show here. Hold on. <laughs> I don't know what is going. This is bizarre. This has never happened to me, and I apologize. Wow. And that is too bad. Because, uh, so if everybody else can hear Andy, I'm going to see if I can get on YouTube and listen to him to answer my next question. And I, again, I apologize for this. Uh, I see some comments from the audience. Guy Martino says he can see and hear him. Yep, I can see him on. I'm, I can see him on the YouTube screen in front of me. So that's great. Um, obviously, the line officers all have a different uh, set of skills and a different set of abilities that that they are very good at, at some things and and maybe not so good at others. So you obviously have to support each other in some pretty significant ways. What is it that if you're looking at a strategic plan, are there certain things that you may hold off on implementing or you may have one of your line officers run rather than have the Grand Master run with because it's more suited to one of those line officers? I would say we definitely do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, so when we came up with a strategic plan, I can tell you I was in the line um, and I know Dan, I don't know if you were in the line yet because we started, I believe, when I was junior grand deacon. Probably. Yeah, I think I was grand treasurer at that point. Okay. So we literally met over the course of like, you talk about meetings, right? I bet you we met for 40, 50 hours in total, week nights, weekend days, we take entire Saturdays and we broke down the entire, the, the entire of the Grand Lodge, every part of it, ritual, what we're looking forward and pulled together a document with kind of a, a past, present, and future state. We shared it with the brethren. Um, but what we really did is we've really come down to something on kind of short-term and long-term initiatives. And that's like Dan said, what we do annually is we go through those. And sometimes that's what happens is sometimes we're further along on things and there will be individuals in the line that take it on. One of the things we came up with, and this is what I get tasked with, and I put a very huge time commitment in. When I was in the line, they decided that the grant constitution needed to be reworked and that they needed a rules and regulations manual. So I was the line officer that got volunteered on a committee that met for five years. And for the first three of those, we met every Monday afternoon at the Grand Lodge office in Milford. So I had a schedule where I was able to take some time off and we meet for, we, we started meeting longer, but usually it's about two to three hours. And we literally broke the grand constitution out and read it line by line, word by word. So what it became for me, I certainly became well-versed in the constitution rules and regulations and manual because I helped draft a lot of it. Um, so that was one of the initial things that came out. And the document you see today, I think is a much more readable document. And so again, that's what we try to do each time is we take pieces and kind of move them forward. And then the other thing sometimes is just initiatives, like initiative of mine, which Andy was with me yesterday, you know, was William Pitt Tavern. Um, we have a great committee, a core group of guys. There's some things we've needed to do for a while, some upgrades some things. So we had a great meeting yesterday and we got a lot of things. We're looking to move that forward. And that's what happens is, you know, you become passionate about a little bit something. For example, with finances, Dan is a grand treasurer, even when he came into line, 
finances that is in his wheelhouse. So he's really taken a lot of the owners to really do things early on to really grab our hands around things and really be on top of it. And I think it's made the grand treasurers after him made their job a lot easier for that reason. So most worshipfully, you were a district officer before being appointed to the line. Uh, Dan, how did you get appointed to the line? What, what were you doing prior to that? I know you said you were a grand treasurer. Would you ever serve as district officer? No, I did not actually. So that was um, like most worshipful other play. Um, I did not serve as a district officer. Um, but as David mentioned earlier, I've been in the craft for a number of years. Um, I am that senior member from a Masonic perspective anyway, um, in the current line, I've been a Mason for 34 years. So I've been around the block a few times, um, served my lodge as, as master, I dare say eight times. Wow. Um, so that certainly gave me a lot of, a lot of experience. Um, and certainly sitting as grand treasurer provided me with a, a really solid introduction to what was some of the intricate going ons of, of some of some of Grand Lodge, certainly from a finance perspective. Um, and those skills fortunately, you know, translated and and most worshipful brother Aronson obviously saw something extra in me um, to be able to ask me and, and ask me to join the line as junior grand deacon in 2013. Now, Andy, what, uh, what, um, this is again, I, I can't hear or see Andy, so I'm, I'm relying on YouTube on my other screen here. But, Andy, what was it that, uh, you were doing before joining the line? I mean, for many of us, we've seen David and Dan as, as line officers for, uh, and that's to many of us their roles. So, this is your introduction to the jurisdiction as a whole. What were you doing prior to that? So, just before this, I was the district deputy grand lecturer for District 4. Um, and before that, I was the Worshipful Master of Harris Lodge 91, which just merged over with Horace Chase. So it's been a, it was kind of a quick, a quick run as DDGL over the course of COVID. Um, and then I thought I was going to be doing that this year, but I guess apparently I was wrong. <laughs> so, Short delay. That's right. So, Andy, how do you go from a district position where where you have responsibilities within your district and, and notoriety within your district to making yourself accessible and known to the members of the jurisdiction as a whole? So one of the things that's been kind of helpful is um, just traveling. I've had the chance to travel with the, the Grand Master several times now, and I hope to continue that throughout. But as much as I can travel right now, anywhere I can go, obviously I'm going to be doing, um, you know, all the veterans programs and so forth that I can get to. Um, but really it's, it's just going to whatever I can get to at this point. If I can get to as many degrees as I can, as many stated communications, you know, just get out in the district and, and be visible. And that's, I think the most important part is to be visible. And, and honestly, these types of things help out tremendously. Yeah, Tim, and just to touch on on what Andy said, I mean, when I was appointed or, or elected grand treasurer, um, you know, aside outside from District 2 and maybe some brethren in District 1, I don't think I was really that well known across the state. Um, so even as grand treasurer, I tried to get out there. Um, I, I wasn't looking necessarily to be appointed junior grand deacon by any means. Uh, but it was more just a matter of the brethren. I, you know, I felt it important for the brethren to see who some of their elected officers were. Um, so I tried to do as much traveling as I possibly could. I think that's the key too, Tim, of the whole process in New Hampshire of that 10-year internship. Because really, if I go back to myself, I may have been a district officer, but outside of a couple of pendant bodies where I was active and it was really, really more of on a, on a local North Country level, I wasn't really known. I knew brothers, but I wasn't well known like Andy. I really would go places I didn't know anybody. And I just started traveling. And really what it's been is that traveling and getting involved over. I mean, I've always been involved in all the various Masonic bodies. But really, when I got to be Junior Grand Deacon, I took I made a real concerted effort to start going out and attending. And what happens is like at the veterans programs, it's not you're you're not really shining. You're just kind of window dressing on the side. Uh, as it may be said, the Grand Master's doing this thing. Maybe one of the senior officers helping them. And what you really do is you get to sit on the sidelines, you get to visit with the brethren, you get to meet the veterans, 
And all of a sudden you start building this network. It's just like a new guy coming into your lodge, Tim, right? My new brother comes in the lodge. He's been a mason a while. You don't know him. You meet him and all of a sudden he starts associating. He comes to dinner. He visits with the brethren. He gets to know you. That's the whole thing that's really neat about New Hampshire. We're not taking Andy and making him grandmaster tomorrow unless there's a catastrophic event that happens that we're not aware of. But I mean, essentially, we're not, it's, he's not going to be grandmaster tomorrow or the next day or the day after. He's got plenty of time to get to know the brethren and ease into it and also build a comfort level in that. Because you really do see that with the guys coming in the line. They become more comfortable as they get down. I know I have. I know Dan has. Because, again, you're always kind of close to the guy that's in front and behind you. And I know, Dan, you just you can see a more comfort level with guys when they go to lodges. They know the brothers there. They're talking to them. That's the unique thing that New Hampshire has that a lot of other jurisdictions don't. Because we don't throw them into the hot seat right out of the gates. I mean. And you know what, thinking about it, having having heard this discussion, it's it's not just that we need to get to know Andy. Andy needs to get to know, you know, members of the jurisdiction and cultivate that network that you mentioned, Most Worshipful, because I think it's very important for the Grand Master to not only be known to the members of his jurisdiction, but also to know what's going on in the jurisdiction as a whole. So it's when you look at being grand master and serving the jurisdiction as opposed to serving your lodge master or serving your district as DDGL or DDGM. How do you maintain representation of the entire jurisdiction as grand master? I think you got boots on the ground. My, my personal feeling, I'll tell you, I've already been doing and I do weekly, I do fraternal visits. Um, I know I went to a lodge last week who they thought nobody was going to show up and I showed up. <laughs> and I said, I'm the brother. It's not here to make any brethren feel at uncomfortable ease. It's me as Grand Master because we're in a small jurisdiction that I can easily travel because I'm in the central part of it. I can easily travel to any lodge in, in a very reasonable amount of time. That I just get out in the lodges and just talk to the brethren and see them because I don't know everybody. I know a lot of people. I've been to all the lodges in the jurisdiction, but there's always new brothers coming up. So my feeling is it's boots on the ground. And that's part of this whole thing of the line about being involved in the things I'm going to from the major events, boots on the ground. I think that's the only way you can do it. And we're again, we're very lucky in this jurisdiction we can. Others, not so much. I think larger jurisdictions have to use more of management tools by their district officers. Um, we're not in that case in this, in this jurisdiction. We can easily get out and get to lodges and get to meetings and and really find out what's going on and also let the brethren know what's going on and if you have concerns let me know because you know you tell brothers that they'll pull you aside afterwards and said i've got a problem i'd like to talk to you about so that's the great thing about it we are easily the grand masters are easily accessible here in new hampshire yeah. and and tim in, in that regard what david just said isn't really any different than what we tell new masons and new new master masons to do is go out and travel to, to, you know, other lodges in your district, other lodges throughout the state, um, just to be able to, you know, obtain more information and educational things. You know, obviously it's a slightly different level as a Grand Lodge line officer in terms of what that travel is trying to do for us. But it's still, it's in that regard, it's not, it's not really any different. And, and, you know, David's right. Having boots on the ground, it's vitally important so that we get to know what the heck is going on out there. And what do you say when, when somebody asks you as, as a Grand Lodge line officer, as the Grand Master, what does the Grand Lodge do for, for constituent lodges? You've got boots on the ground, you're meeting with these people, but what is the role of Grand Lodge in relation to a, a constituent lodge and its members? I think really the role is, it's really supporting the lodges, what it is. And I think really in the last 10 plus years, looking from the time I started in Freemasonry, because I was, you know, I was the guy in the lodge who asked, what is Grand Lodge for? What do we do? You know, part of it's a management role. But, you know, if you look in Grand Lodge really since 2010, I mean, there are things, you know, education, education has come literally light years in advance in this jurisdiction. And what we're doing for educational programs and seminars and the, the level of programming you're getting now is really something that isn't, is really to be rivaled, you know? And the other thing is the same thing, like, you know, Chris Busby's doing, you know, as a grand lecturer from that standpoint, doing the same thing of really getting out there and really with these, you know, these, these workshops he's doing, bringing a very different level of ritual. He's not talking about the specifics. He's talking about the performance of ritual and such, but ultimately I think a lot of it's just advice, but, 
you know, I think the biggest challenge that most lodges see, you know, and this is the hard part about it. I was a worshipful master in my lodge. You as officers of your lodge got to take the role of your lodge. And that could be the tiler, the deacons, the wardens, the master, just as seriously as we do as Grand Lodge. And the only way your lodge is ever going to be successful is if you put the effort to make it successful. You know, lodges say, what do I do? You know, my own lodge, my own lodge every year in the 4th of July parade, they have a little float that they put in the parade to get keep the visibility in the community. They do things to be visible. You know, as Grand Lodge, we can only do so much. It's the lodges, you know. Nobody knows me in Tamworth, New Hampshire, you know, you know, or Osby, New Hampshire. They need members of that lodge to be out there doing things in the community because that's the people, that's their electrician, that's their local fireman, that's their local police officer, that's a local town manager, whatever the case may be. And I think that's the thing that gets missed a little bit. We have a lot of things to support lodges, a lot of ideas that we can help. But ultimately, the success is based on what the lodges and the members in their local communities do themselves. We can give you all the tools. You just got to put them to work. And again, roll up your sleeves and put to work. It's not easy. It's not easy what we do. Um, the travel and time. We're trying to manage a jurisdiction to keep the resources coming to you. But ultimately, a lot of it is to you as lodge members to do it. And I know that's not an easy thing to say or easy thing to hear, I guess. Um, and that's things like we're doing leadership training. We do that for that reason. I'm scheduling ones right now this year because I think it's important. And I think it's been lost. I think the level of mentorship and lodges that I had, you know, I had these great mentors that told me, if you're going to be successful as master, you better by the time your senior deacon start planning your time as master, you know, and they were telling me that and leaning on that. And even I can say a senior, senior warden, I was getting prepared. I don't know if I was prepared as I was, but because I had good mentorship, that helped. And I think a lot of times in lodges, that's part of the problem is we're throwing guys into roles, moving them up the chairs quickly, not giving them the tools within the lodge to succeed. So they look at Grand Lodge and say, you know, you want me to do the ritual right? You want me to get my face in the community? What can you do to help me? Well, my initial question is, what has your lodge and your mentors done to show you the way? Because they know the community much better than I do. But again, there's tools we can have to do that. So it's getting better, um, but it's never going to be perfect. You know, it's never going to be perfect. So there's a question in the chat from Right Worshipful. Well, it, it's not really a question, but it's a statement uh, from Right Worshipful Brother Ackridge. And I think it ties into a lot of what you just said, Most Worshipful. It's... Do you believe that travel and the change in lodge cultures has resulted in the, the barrier of that dreaded purple apron going away? To a point, yes, and to a point, no. I, I, think, I think anything you do, for example, and this is what I'll give you a quick example. If you are a selectman in a town office and you're doing your thing every day and managing your town the best you can, and the governor's office comes in to talk to you, do you feel a level of oversight that maybe you did or didn't want? Now, if they're coming there to help, I think you'd be like, hey, welcome. Thanks. You're bringing us money. That's great. But if they're coming there to kind of give you direction on maybe what you haven't done right, I think that very much plays into the Purple Apron syndrome. When we're there to help and we can help and offer them assistance, maybe that they need or didn't even know they needed, it's great. But when we're in there offering them direction and guidance on things they need to do better, I think that's still a little bit of the purple apron. It's, I think it's a level of management and authority that will always be there. Um, but again, I think the more you're out and about, the less, the, the more that goes away. I, it's never going to go away though, because I always think that again, going back to mentorship. And I, I when I was installed, I mentioned this. It was a brother that I brought up to the front of the room. I'm sorry, be quick here. A brother I brought up to the front of the room who was a district deputy grandmaster, literally two decades before I was even in the member of the lodge. And I was the guy in law who used to say, ah, you know, the, the Grand Lodge officers come in, tell us what to do there, tell us what to do here. And he used to say to me, you know, David, there's a reason they do that. They're not doing it to single you out. They're doing it to make your lodge better. And sometimes you need that little bit of stern guidance. Sometimes it's friendly, sometimes stern. But he really, or he really, you know, got me to got me to really think about that much differently. But I was a district officer. I went into lodges. I I know how it is. I know it's that oversight and they question it. So I think it's gotten better, but I don't think it's ever going to go away because it's just a level of management and authority that, again, 
you know, any brother can, like I said, just like the governor coming in, you know, if, if Governor Chris Sununu came into your, you know, and you're a selectman, came into your selectman's meeting and started asking lots of questions, you may kind of wonder, what's a, what's the state, what's he doing here? I voted for him or I didn't vote for him or whatever the case may be. So I, I look at that very similarly. So. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, David makes an excellent point. I think it has gotten better over the years. I, I, I've certainly seen it. I think part of it is, is how we approach it. Um, you know, obviously there are times when, you know, sometimes a firmer hand is needed. Um, but there are many times when it's not. It's, it's, a, it's a friendly chat. It's a friendly discussion. And, you know, what can we do to help? Um, and, and hopefully that has alleviated some of that to some degree. So kind of going off of this point, I'll, I'll, I'll have a question for all three of you, but I'll start with Andy. Obviously, you've all worn purple aprons for, for quite some time, whether it was as a district officer or as a Grand Lodge line officer. But Andy, now that you're a Grand Lodge line officer, have you noticed that the uh, kind of conversations you have or the way people view you in Lodge is a little bit different? I know it's only been three weeks, but it's a, it's a question I'd like to hear. Uh, so as of now, I'll say no. Um, honestly, the biggest shift was when I first put on a purple apron. Uh, when I became DDGL, I remember going to a lodge in my district and it was just that simple, well, what the heck, what, what's the purple doing here? You know, and, and I'd been there many times before, you know, as just as a, as a brother and a worshipful master of my lodge and so forth. And really that to me was the shift. You know, I haven't noticed it yet. I'm sure there's going to be times when I do feel that. I think it's, it's bound to happen. Um, but I think with with traveling around and, and getting to know the brethren in the jurisdiction, I, I hope that that doesn't, you know, become sort of the normal. You know, there's certainly going to be times when there's there's issues going on and, and those need to be addressed. But, you know, I, I, my my goal is just to be out and, and enjoy the brethren and, and hopefully they can, you know, enjoy spending time in Lodge with me as well. So really that's so far nothing, but it's bound to happen. Yeah, I mean, Andy makes a good point in terms of does it happen? Yeah, it does. And I think certainly the deputy grandmaster, and, and I'm sure the grandmaster can touch on this further, but if I walk into a lodge, I think that conversation is a little bit different um, just because of my position. Now, as an individual, I, I certainly don't see that as part of my personality um, of, of being that, that firm, stern kind of guy. And, you know, I like to be open and available, but I, I also recognize that as Deputy Grandmaster, that conversation is going to be different. And there may be some things that, you know, guys are not going to want to tell me because of that position. Um, but I also need to stress that, you know, we're here to assist and help. And I mean, we are servant leaders and that's what we're here to do. So, yeah. And so that's interesting because as an outsider uh, to Grand Lodge, there's a massive gulf in my mind between senior grand warden and deputy grand master. And, and that's a big change because you take on a very specific role, Dan, as you come into the position of deputy grand master. I think that that that's an interesting conversation to, to hear is how that kind of evolved as you're now in, in the, you're next in line as it were. Yeah. And like Andy, because it's still relatively fresh, I haven't really seen a lot of that just yet. Um, but I am starting to get out there and, and make some fraternal visits like our grandmaster is to, to other lodges. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll be able to answer that question a little bit better as time progresses. So most worshipful, uh, I guess for you, I think that massive gulf between senior grand warden and deputy grandmaster is certainly a thing. I think that, you know, in my opinion, again, as an outsider, just my perspective, it's not quite as large between deputy grandmaster and grandmaster. So over the last two years and, and three weeks, what is what has changed in regards to the way you think you're uh, interacted with as a, a member of the fraternity? Again, I, I've always tried to be the one to be always a brother first. And I think I've always tried to really push that. I had a, you know, I had a grandmaster who appointed me, Paul Leary, uh, most worshipful past grandmaster, who always said, you need to be a servant leader first. Being a servant leader means you need to be on the level with the brethren. And there are times when you need to remind them, you know, that that who you are and what you do. However, most of the time you're a brother and you're there to listen 
and assist and advise. The one difference is, I think when you get to deputy or absolutely right, Tim, I think there is a distinct, you start feeling that because you're getting close now. You're only one more person you got to convince to get your decision. And then all of a sudden, this is what happens to you like, oh, I guess it's me. <laughs> That's a little different at times. That's, you know, this is what happens. Nobody tells you this. This is like, so being a watchful master, I'll relate it this way. So being a watchful master, you know, because you've been there to me, you know, you're going to make decisions, right? But you've always got a group of past masters that'll maybe if you're leading astray, will help you lead you, will help bring you back. As great master, guess what? You, you, this is what you have. And this is what I look at is I have my deputy who I relate to and I will call up to give me a little sanity. And then I also have a jurisprudence committee and my jurisprudence committee, I put together very distinctly. There's a past grandmaster on it. There's a past DDGM and there's an attorney on it. That's who my jurisprudence is. And when I have questions on things, so I don't lead the brethren astray and make sure I'm keeping within due balance, I look to them and I ask them and I already have asked them on different questions. I think, I, I think this is the right decision. Is this the right decision? And what they'll say to me is, well, grandmaster, this is what we think you should do, but ultimately it's your decision to make. So <laughs> yeah, don't you like that, right? So those the past, as a worshipful master, you don't get that, do you? You get a past master says, you can't do this because of this. Um, so it definitely, um, it definitely is because you, you when you say things, you got to think a little bit because that answer is the answer, right? We are truly... Um, you know, you know, an autocratic group, right? We're democratic in the way we vote. But once the Grand Master is there until the next election, he has the say between the sessions of Grand Lodge. And, and, and the weight of that office, there are days, and I've told you, so I'm only three weeks in, there have already been days, and the Deputy Grand Master can confirm this, that the weight of that office is bared very heavily upon me to make sure I'm doing the right decision. So I think sometimes it's a measured decision. And the only thing today with technology, I think everybody wants an immediate answer. Most of it is. Sometimes the answer might not come back immediately because I want to contemplate to make sure I'm making the right decision. So that the decisions I think are even more on your office. But again, because the brethren look to you because they know if they come to the Grand Master and get an answer, that's straight from the horse's mouth as it goes. So that's the answer, you know, unless unless something radically comes back. So it, it, it's definitely different. But again, I, I've been coming up through for 10 years, so I don't really look at it. I just look at it as another step that I'm here. I'm here to lead while I am grandmaster, and then I will turn the role reins over to Dan, and he will do the same. And, and I, I love that fact that that again, I'm not here. I'm not elected for life. It's, you know, there is a definitive period so I can do my things for it, push the graph forward, and hopefully the brethren will listen to that. So, yeah. yeah and Tim, can I just circle back on that just a little bit? Absolutely. Um, in terms of how I've been approached from the brethren, like I said, I, I, it hasn't really hit that yet, but I can tell you that in terms of my conversations with David on a regular basis, I mean, those have certainly increased significantly as deputy versus senior grand warden. Um, you know, like you said, the deputy is kind of the grandmaster's confidant and, and he tends to run things by me on a regular basis to say, am I on the right path here? Or is, or is you know, is there another viewpoint I need? Um, and that's already happening. So, you know, I know it's, it's part of the process, um, but that certainly, didn't happen at the level of C at senior grand warden that it is as, as deputy. Yeah, that, I guess that's definitely something that we as members are certainly not exposed to. The the level of reliance on jurisprudence is is clearly significant because every decision you make is essentially the word and law of the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire, whether it's in compliance with constitutional regulation or not. So making sure you're on the right path is good, and then having somebody to rely on who can provide you that guidance from outside of that perspective is great as well. Yeah. And uh, Dan, I understand that there's a guy who's going to be out of a job in two years, who's intimately familiar with the constitution and regulations. <laughs> so if you're looking for an appointee to the jurisprudence committee, <laughs> listen, I'm not trying to take your job, but he's certainly raising his hand over there when he talks about his experience with the constitution. Trust me, he's already on my list. <laughs> <laughs> As you know, though, uh, you got to have a, a backup or two, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think it's uh, we're heading towards the end of this conversation. And I think what I want to do is just go around the horn again and, and start with Andy. 
what is it that you see as your responsibility over the course of the next two years? And, and for you, Andy, obviously, as you travel uh, through the remainder of your, your term as a, a Grand Line officer, what is it that you're looking forward to accomplishing? And, and really, what do you want the, the brethren to know about you as a Grand Line officer and eventually as Grand Master? That's an interesting question. Um, and, and, and I won't say that the question for me is, is premature because honestly, I haven't formulated a lot of things that I might want to be taking, taking on. Um, it's everything for me is, is, is very new in this role. Um, looking forward to really learning from people who've been, been through, you know, all of these chairs before and what have you. Um, I, I think more than anything right now my 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 role is to to again be that sponge but then also just get out into the the jurisdiction and get get those brethren to, to know me get to know them very well and and enjoy that time because though there's going to be a lot of meetings and so forth as i go through this it's not about just me going through it it's about being there with the brethren as well and making sure that they are enjoying their masonic experience So Sam, um, for, for me, um, and answer that question, it's really, it's multiple folds for me. Um, it, it's not only continuing to serve the brethren of this Grand Lodge in, in my current position, but it's, as we touched on, it, it's being that confidant for, for David uh, to, to be able to bounce things off of. Um, but in addition to that, it's also the planning aspect of, of you know, making those plans for if and when I get elected as Grand Master. Um, so there's there's kind of a lot of balls being juggled in the air for me uh, in this particular role. Uh, certainly looking forward to it, um, but it's it's a little bit more than, than perhaps some of the other positions just because of those extra roles. And uh, Grand Master, for you, I'm gonna mute the YouTube video over here. Grand Master, for you, You've got two years left. Uh, you're you're at the culmination of your journey, a twelve year journey, and and what is it that you will consider a mark of success at the end of your term as Grand Master? And obviously, uh, the D Deputy Grand Master's got you on some short lists. But, <laughs> but what is it that you look forward to doing as a, a past Grand Master? So I, th so I think, um, you know, what I'm looking for is, you know, I'm the 118th Grand Master. So if we go back in the 230 plus years of the Grand Lodge, I'm only number 118. And that that's a pretty short list. You know, in my lodge, I was the 101st Grand Master. And, you know, I'm a history guy, so I look at that stuff. But, you know, to me, I have an obligation to all the Grand Masters that set before me, all the brethren here today, um, to leave it in a better place than it was. And so I am going to, as I told the past Grand Master, I'm going to burn the candle at both ends and from the middle out um, to be on the ground, to be doing things, doing events and traveling. Because I believe right now, you know, Ken Clay, most worshipful past Grand Master, you know, a wonderful man who really didn't get a chance to fully execute everything he wanted to do because of COVID. But I believe COVID has put Freemasonry in this jurisdiction and around the country in a really neat place. It's allowed brethren that are that were mate that are Masons to contemplate how much they really loved the fraternity and when they couldn't be part of it, how much they missed it to come back. And the other thing is, I think there's a lot of men out there that are knocking on the door for Masonry or will be knocking on the door for Masonry, and we owe it to them to give it the best experience possible. So really for me, it's doing everything within my power with committees, with education, with ritual, with, with districts to really give it the best experience possible, make sure there's events going on. And I will tell you, there's a lot of fun stuff coming forward that I'm planning and that others are planning in the next 12 months, really 12 months from right now, that I really think are going to help set Freemasonry in a really great place in this jurisdiction. So I'm, I'm really committed to doing everything I can at every level to do that. And it comes right back to one of the big points of my term is travel. The reason I am where I am today, the only reason, well, I mean, a couple things, but really the biggest reason where I am, when I was took my entered apprentice degree back in January 1996, within one week, I attended a table lodge. 
And the one thing that struck me at that table lodge, it was a big joint table lodge, about 50, 60 guys in a room. I went with a brother who was a Grand Lodge officer and a couple other brothers walked around the room and shook everybody's hand and introduced me to everybody. And I got to know all these brothers. And I said, what a great organization says we get to know all these brothers, build these relationships. Those interpersonal relationships have what made me coming back time and time again. And though there's going to be a lot, and there is already challenge of this job from a management perspective, there are decisions sometimes you're going to make that aren't the most pleasant. But what I know is I know that there's all these wonderful events. Like I just went with Andy. We just went to a master masonry last week. Wonderfully done. The brother who gave the closing charge, let me tell you something. If he get the, if he get the, not the closing charge, the charge at the end of the master mason degree, if everybody could hear that at the end of their master mason degree, they'd be much more engaged. So that's my goal is to really, hopefully I can leave it in a better place and leave masons more engaged and more involved in Freemasonry than they were before. That doesn't mean at the level we're at, that simply means that they're engaging Freemasonry more than they were before. And I hope that's what I can leave. And really as a past grandmaster, um, I look at something that when I was appointed, I was kind of told, and, and I don't disagree. I feel that once I'm a past grandmaster, I just like a past master of a lodge, I feel that I am there to serve the Grand Lodge and the Grand Master, but I'm there to continue to help. I'm not going away. I, I'm, when, I, when I go out as Grand Master, assuming I'm elected to one more year, I'll be 51 years old. That's pretty young for Grand Masters. I'm, I'm in the young club for that over the last 40, 50 years. And I will tell you, I fully intend to be very much involved in Freemasonry in this jurisdiction and supporting the next Grand Master and the next Grand Master. When Andy comes along, I'll be supporting him as well because I feel that's my role. My role is to assist and help wherever they need be. So really, so I tell you this now, Andy, now he's going to be like, what? I look at this as we talk about this lifelong commitment, as I see other past Grand Masters that have done in this jurisdiction, it's a lifelong commitment. And as much as I'm able to do within the length of my cable toe, after I go out of office, I will continue to support this Grand Lodge in this jurisdiction. Because I think Freemasonry literally has been one of the best things that I've ever done. I'm privileged to be here. You know, I know there's only a select few that get here, but I also want to make sure I'm giving back for what Freemasonry has given to me, the honor and privilege of Grandmaster. And hearing that, I think we're in for a great two years and with you as Grandmaster and I think Andy will have a, a constant ally and a past grandmaster as he comes up through the grand line. So, uh, gentlemen, allow me to say thank you for, for joining us this evening. And, brethren, I hope that this gave you some behind-the-scenes looks at, at what it is to be a grand line officer and, and sort of the, the decision-making process and, and the journey that these individuals take. And, and in Andy's case, will be taking over the course of, of their time as a grand lodge officer. So thank you again for joining us, uh, brethren. I appreciate it. We will be back next month. We are a week late due to the Independence Day holiday. So please join us on July 11th, same time, same place, where we will be speaking with the youth organizations and uh, getting a little bit of in insight into the Masonic family uh, from a larger perspective. So brethren, thank you. And for those of you watching, if you have any suggestions, questions, or concerns, please feel free to email us at the email address that is on the screen now. Thank you and have a great night. Good night, brother.